0: Ready for a buzzworthy story? Welcome back to Textonation. I'm Fred Fishkin. In this episode, we're taking you to Parker, Colorado, and the Frangiosa Farms, home to an online program that allows anyone to adopt a honeybee. Joining us is Nick French, beekeeper and owner of the farms. Hi, Nick.
1: Hi, Fred. How are you?
0: Terrific. Well, it has been more than Ten years, I think, since you started the adoptive bee program there at the farm. How and why did this come about?
1: Well, when I started beekeeping, uh, I think it's—I've been beekeeping now about fifteen years. Um, I, it was a—it was a steep learning curve to get into it. Um, I ended up knocking on a neighbor's door, asking him if he needed any help, and I ended up working with him throughout the summer. Um, spent, you know, two three days a week working with him. At the end of the summer, we harvested about eight hundred pounds of honey off of a about a dozen hives. And he decided he was going to retire. You know, this guy he'd been beekeeping for about thirty plus years and he was done. And I just looked at it like this is too much. I don't know enough about beekeeping. I've only done this for a summer. And uh, he said, look, you can do this. You know the the techniques, you know um, how to work with the hives and the bees. He said, you can do this. And so I kind of, you know, mustered up the courage to get get into the bees and really kind of immerse myself. And I realized that, you know, I love working with the bees, but there is a challenge, you know, for, for everyone out there that wants to do beekeeping, you know you have to overcome the obstacle of, well, there's a financial cost. you have to buy the equipment, you have to have the space. you have to be able to dedicate time each week. You know you have to get ready for winter as we're doing now, then you have to get ready for the spring and then you're maintaining. So it takes a lot. And I thought, well, how do we get more people involved in the beekeeping that maybe you know they don't have the time, space or energy, or maybe they're allergic, but still, can appreciate the the value that pollinators bring to you know food production and in our lives. And I thought, well let's let's do a, a kind of a donation or an adopt the bee program where people can contribute to healthy bee colonies, establishing, you know, new colonies here in Colorado um, without having to do it themselves. And that's how the Adopt the Honeybee program was born.
0: And you've taken it online for people these days too.
1: Yeah, it was really, um, it was kind of like, I don't want to say a joke. It was sort of like, I'm just going to throw this out there online and see what happens. And I created the first website. Uh, we put the program out there and all of a sudden people started to, to sign up for it. And they were making these donations and we would, you know, in turn for their donation, they would get a jar of honey and a certificate that says they're helping to maintain healthy bee colonies in Colorado. And it started to become a thing, and people were uh, contacting me about it. Some schools in the area would raise money for bees, and those donations and you know the money we were bringing in for that not only helped me buy equipment to set up new colonies, but it also enabled me to go to schools to talk to kids. In North, no, pre-COVID, I used to talk to about 250 kids every year between the ages of eight and about 14 about the plight of the pollinators and so it was a kind of an also an outreach program built into it
0: that's terrific and uh, of course you know keys kids have a, a a natural curiosity about these kinds of things that uh sometimes we wish more grown-ups had
1: so kids get it kids get the uh, when i talk to kids about uh, birds, bats, bees, and butterflies, and how important they are for food production. The kids just get it right away. No questions. They they know, and um, and they're all in right from right to, right from the beginning.
0: Yeah, many of us have heard about the various health and environmental issues facing uh, honeybees and the plight, as you put it. What are conditions for them like now? What can you tell us?
1: Um, it's definitely still a struggle. Um, from what from when I started beekeeping until now, there's definitely been this um, like an up, uprising of interest in backyard beekeeping. More people are interested because when I started I know, 15 years ago and I would go to farmers markets selling honey and people would say, look at me like I was crazy. They say bees are dying. There's there's a problem with bees and pollination. I'd say, oh, yeah, there are many factors affecting them. Um, The last couple years, we have been struggling, you know, it's been very difficult for bees in Colorado, Um, you know, locally, drought, lack of forage, uh, competition with other insects. Like we had a plague of grasshoppers in Parker and in the basically South Denver area the last two years. And those grasshoppers are eating all the, the wonderful flowers that the bees like, clover, um, you know, sages and, and all the different, you know, flowers that bees really like here. Um, but nationally and around the world, bees are, are battling with a lot of things. I mean, they, they're battling with loss of forage. You know, a lot of people blame GMO crops or chemicals, which are a problem. But really what's happening is, uh, like when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in northwest Ohio. All of our farms had these beautiful borders around them. It was wildflowers, it was just everything you could think of was growing along the wheat and the cornfields. As the genetically modified crops have come out, and you know, we're using these broad spectrum herbicides, that spray drifts off to the side and kills off those borders. Those borders were a prime source of, of feed for bees. So that, that's happening. There's a mite, there's a couple mites that are affecting the bees themselves. Uh, there's a tracheal mite, gets in the bees' airways, and there's also uh, the varora mite. Um, so it's, it's a great name. If you're going to be an insect that kills bees, your name is varora destructor. You're, you're the, destruct, the, the destroyer, destroyer mite. They pierce the exoskeleton of the bees, lets uh, you know, disease get in, they suck their blood out. They're really a horrible, uh, horrible you know, mite. to to battle with and nowadays um like my mentor when he started beekeeping he didn't have to worry about these mites um now you know when i came in i was kind of like this new age beekeeper aware of mites and aware of you know what's affecting bees and he used to look at me and say nick i don't know anything about mites he's like i don't know We, we don't deal with them and i and now most beekeepers just accept that your colonies have them you just need to monitor what what is the load? How many mites do your colonies have and how to treat them?
0: Really an ongoing battle. You know, what's really fascinating uh, and I don't profess to know too much, but you talk about colonies. These are really little civilizations, aren't they? I mean, the, 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 the social lives and the jobs that, that bees have, Oh yeah. Did, yeah. You, have you found that surprising since you got into it?
1: Yeah, I had no idea either. I thought there were male bees, uh, you know, female worker bees, and a queen, and and there are, but then there are these other jobs. Um, but they are probably the most highly organized, highly social, uh, coordinated uh, group of organisms on the earth. They. You know, in the peak of summer, I can have a colony that could be larger than sixty-five thousand bees. That's just one colony, one box that you see sitting out in the field, and they have all sorts of jobs. And this is what I love talking to people about because you don't know it. I mean, they're and, and I put it in terms that people can understand. So there's heating and ventilation. There's HVAC bees. They're responsible for ventilating the hive, keeping it cool. They they stand around and just flap their wings. And control the temperature or the humidity. Too humid, they 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 try and vent those hives. You have cleaning crews, the ones that are just cleaning up the hive day to day. You have mortician bees. So uh, you know when it's normally bees are dying out in the field; they don't make it back. A lot of, in winter, you know, you have more die offs that happen inside of the colony. Uh, I would sit outside by my hives, right by the entrance. At the entrance, I call my mother, I'm talking to my mom on the phone, and I'm watching the bees pull out dead bees, take it to the edge of the hive, drop the dead bees off the edge of the hive, then go back inside for another. And then you see them to come back out again, they drop the bee, the dead bees off the end of the hive. And a lot of first time beekeepers panic. You know, you come out on a warm spring day, you look down at the entrance of the hive, and you're just like, Oh no, look at all these dead bees. But in in fact, it's it's a sign that it could, it could be a very healthy hive because a healthy hive has enough of these workers doing different jobs to help clean out the dead bees. Uh, if you don't have enough, if you're not a healthy colony, you don't have enough workers, then the dead bees just stay inside the colony.
0: Just amazing. Well, as you mentioned, it's it's autumn now. Soon the Colorado winter <laughs> arrives. What happens to the bees?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really fickle weather in Colorado right now. I mean, we're going to have, we're going to be over 80 degrees today. Uh, and we're what? It's uh, the 20th of October. It's pretty unusual. Uh, bees this time of year are really sealing up all the cracks and gaps in their hive, winterizing. Uh, they're making sure they have enough winter stores of honey and pollen. My job, really, I start to back off from what I do this time of year. I get to a a time of year where beekeepers, we usually call it a no-peak season, meaning you don't open the hives, you you leave the bees, do their own thing. But they um, people are familiar with like penguins. Have you seen them on TV when penguins ball up into a big uh, crowd and the penguins on the outside rotate to the inside and the ones on the inside rotate to the outside? Bees do something very similar. They ball up around the queen. They make a cluster. And they can keep that center of that cluster where the queen is at, they can keep it 85, 90 degrees, even in the dead of winter when it's 20 degrees outside.
0: Wow. What's the lifespan of
1: a, of a bee? Um,
0: assuming the mites, they survive all of that.
1: Yeah, if you get rid of, you know, you, you know barring disease, um, in the summer, we, bees are living six weeks you know, to a couple months. Um you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll see reports where it'll say uh, life lifespan of a bee in the summer might be three weeks. It depends how hard they're working. They literally work themselves to death. I've seen bees at the end of the season that are at the end of their lives, they, and their wings are tattered, tattered and torn. They have had put thousands of miles on those wings, um, whereas the brand new wings have nice, clean edges. Uh, but it's it's a struggle during the summer. There's sometimes, or sorry, during the winter, sometimes they'll live a little bit longer because they're not working so hard.
0: So over the course of a year, you have quite a few generations.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, you get to a point in the summer where a queen bee, her, you know, can lay two thousand eggs a day, you know, very easily, um, and so you're getting a ramp up in the spring where you're having two thousand eggs. You know, you're hatching every day and so the hives grow exponentially over a period of a few weeks this time of year they whittle down their numbers to a uh, you know, very small group um, just enough to keep the queen alive and warm do the basic maintenance um, and it's really about preparing to get that queen through to the, to the next year.
0: You specialize in certain types of honey that people can find online. Tell us, tell us more about what you do there.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, raw honey and wildflower honey is great on its own. Uh, at FrangiosaFarms.com, you can see a lot of different types of honey we do. Uh, we often like to joke around, but it's kind of meaning it seriously. We like to make honey better. Uh, honey is such a great carrier and a great preservative for for different types of things. Uh, you know, some of our ancestors used to preserve peaches and pears in honey. Um, and even beyond that, the Egyptians used to preserve bodies in honey. So it's um, it's a great preservative. We like to add other beneficial botanicals or mushroom extracts. Uh, we'll add a turmeric or elderberry for to help build, build the immune system. And what's been very popular now is uh, lion's mane mushroom extracts in honey. And then also reishi. Um, sometimes mushrooms can be a bit bitter, and so the sweetness from the honey helps to balance that. But you end up with a, a, a super super food. The honey is a you know a great super food on its own.
0: It's terrific. That mushroom honey sound sounds great. And there's a kind of a separate business with the hemp honey as well.
1: Yeah, the hemp honey was um, you know started off in 2015 um, when. The hemp farming became legal in Colorado again. I ended up putting about 20 hives on 70 acres of industrial hemp just north of Denver as a pollination service. And then I started to learn about CBD and different beneficial properties that were coming from hemp. Um, a lot of people don't know that you know hemp is the cousin of marijuana, but it doesn't it doesn't have the psychoactive properties that you get from THC. There's other beneficial properties that come from it but those products really taste kind of really horrible and so i thought well i have a honey that tastes so good and we have this other thing this this oil from hemp that has beneficial properties let's put them together and make another superfood and coloradohemphoney.com has like a wide variety of those products um, to help people with pain sleep anxiety inflammation lots of different uh, reasons people would take it
0: Terrific. And uh, what can you tell us about the numbers of people involved with uh, the Adopt-A-B program today?
1: Well, I can tell you that we um, we have set up, and if you get my numbers right here, it's been a while. From the time we started doing this, uh, we've estimated we've saved at least 2 million bees, either through uh, rescuing them from um you know, being inside of a home or garages or on fence posts. We've captured them, set up new colonies. We've also um, created about 150 new colonies of bees uh, just through the donations. And, you know, a lot of that offsets losses. And every year I plan on a 25% loss in, of all my bees, whether it's from mites or not enough uh, forage for them. And so uh, we have a lot of people across the country are doing it either for themselves or they're offering as gifts for somebody who might love bees, might love honey, not been involved in it, and then they'll, they'll gift uh, uh, an adoption certificate to their their Aunt Chris or their, their cousin or someone, a grandfather or father, um, and then they get a, a little bit of honey from that hive and also a certificate that shows they're helping out.
0: So for people who want to do that, where's the best place for them to go, Nick?
1: Best place to go would be frangiosafarms.com. I don't know if you can post the spelling, but it's F-R-A-N-G-I-O-S-A farms, plural, dot com, And the program's detailed there. Um, and it's a great place to help out.
0: Well, congratulations on what you're doing there, Nick. Uh, again, it's frangiosafarms.com. Nick French, thank you for spending time with us.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.